Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Jean Ginsberg here. I'm very excited to have a special guest today, um, Kevin Kelly from Altvia, right? I just want to make sure I'm pronouncing this correctly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. Um, Let's see if I can scoot into this a little bit closer. Um, Well, yeah, let's uh, chat chat a little about your background. So tell us about your background and what you know, we did before you started the company. Yeah, so I started Albia um, just about 14 years ago exactly. Okay. Uh, I guess it, you know probably like most entrepreneurs, there's not like an exact start date, but it was, it was roughly April of, uh, of 2006 where I made the decision to make the leap and, and start the company. Um, awesome. Prior to starting the company, I was sort of dabbling doing some work on my own. Uh, just kind of on the side, I was working in technical sales for uh, for uh, I guess ten or eleven years prior prior to starting the company, and had a couple of ideas bouncing around about things that I could do, and uh, had the opportunity to kind of be doing some things on the side, and then uh, finally in two thousand six, like in the spring, uh, kind of stars aligned, and I officially kind of made the leap, quit my job like that spring. Awesome. So, yeah. what is your background in that, I guess, and how yeah. does that relate to the, the company that you founded? Yeah, so I have a marketing degree from uh, from CU Boulder. I, I grew up in Minnesota, and I came out here to go to school. Um, didn't really uh, excel in school, and kind of came out with uh, not not a whole lot of direction in terms of what I wanted to do, and that was in uh, kind of the mid-90s. I found myself, had a couple of opportunities to work. Um, in telephony, so kind of the, the integration between telephone systems and computers, um, and uh, kind of stumbled into that and discovered that I really loved uh, telephony. It's pretty fascinating. I really love databases, especially. Uh, the first company I worked for had a really neat application, and it's you know like in this day and age of like being able to order things on your phone, it probably seems uh, pretty outdated. But uh, we had technology that if you were in Denver, let's say. Um, and you were someone like Pizza Hut or Domino's. You could publish a single phone number for the entire market, mm-hmm. and then we could figure out, uh, based on, on on some pretty crude technology, what the most likely Domino store that you should be routed to. Mm-hmm. So, like in Denver back in the '90s, it was like I don't know if we had Domino's here, but we had Pizza Hut, and it was called four eight 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 eight. And and regardless of where you were in the Denver Boulder metro area, we would be able to look at your phone number. You know, this is no one really had cell phones, but we would be able to look at the at the middle three digits in your mm-hmm. phone number and be able to say, oh, we're pretty sure that you should be going to this domino. So we, we're pretty sure that, you know, there might be two and, you, and we would play voice prompts. So that technology is called IVR. Um, that was really my, my first job out of college. Mm-hmm. And through that, I discovered I loved databases. I loved, um, you know, understanding how, how data was structured and things like that. And uh, over the course of the next eight to 10 years, really was mostly working in telephony or call center software and, and discovered that I kind of had an ability to write on whiteboards, I always tell people. So um, I was in technical sales. I wasn't trained as an engineer. I had a marketing degree, um, but I, I loved, uh, you know, sort of being between technologists and business people and um, worked for a couple of different companies 
in um, you know that that kind of greater space of uh, you know call centers where you call into an insurance company or a bank or something like that, and we'd have you know when you call into a bank and you enter your phone number and then you get transferred to an agent, and hopefully if everything was working well, the agent would know you know everything about you before they uh, they picked up the phone. So kind of worked in that space for a long long time. Like I said, I figured out that. I could draw on whiteboards and explain and be a be an interpreter for uh, for different parties, and interpreting uh, like the tech side yeah, to the just, layman side, yeah, yeah, to helping, the marketing yeah, side, yeah, helping non-technical folks understand how you know how tech technology could you know make a difference in their business, helping uh, technologists you know communicate what they could do in business terms and things like that, and so uh, bounced around in a couple of different companies. Like I said, the first company I worked for was was real small, had had taken on some funding. And uh, worked there, then ended up working for kind of a more established kind of black box provider of technology. Uh, went back to a really, really small startup. I think I was employee number six. We had some really cool uh, technology that we used to test phone systems. And that was, that really feeded my, uh, my hunger for just understanding data. Mm -hmm. So we would do uh, tests at, at, at large scale of like, you know, uh, phone systems to see how they would hand, how, how they would react if they had, 500 simultaneous callers like entering account numbers and things like that so that was pretty cool and then it all culminated in in uh, 2000 i went to work for cisco systems who at the time was primarily a data company you know building out the internet and they had a desire to uh, to take on the next color app which was voice and in particular voice over ip so so building some and, and again like this is probably seeming like ancient technology to a lot of people that might listen to this podcast but it was a big deal when when data and voice networks you know on on Companies' premises started to converge, and uh, really, you know, prior to any sort of cell phone or mobile technology, so uh, that was a neat opportunity, I think, to get a get a sense of, you know, like a company like Cisco, which is huge, and get a sense of kind of how they operate. Awesome. So yeah. tell us, um, tell us about uh, your company. Tell us what you created. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, for a couple of years, I, I kind of took my my interest in databases and my interest in just sort of making things work better. And I would build little, you know, almost like CRM type applications inside of the companies that I was working as like a sales engineer for, you know, just ways to organize information that we were generating. Um, you know, so like at Cisco, we had one of the responsibilities that we had was to, um, as a, I was a systems engineer for Cisco, and we had, to, we had to train sales reps. And so I would build databases on organizing training materials and things like that. And so I was doing a bunch of that on the side. And in probably 2003, 2004, a friend of mine was starting um, what's known as a private equity fund of funds. And at that time I had zero idea what that even meant. Um, but I would get together with him periodically and he would explain the challenges that they were having organizing the information that they needed as part of their business. And I would say, well, I can take that spreadsheet or this thing that you guys are doing at Word and I can build an access database to do this. And so kind of slowly and surely over the course of a couple of years, I ended up building out a lot of technology for this, for this fund of funds. And I learned a lot about private equity as an industry. And um, that's where things kind of came to the, you know, the perfect storm in 2006. They were keeping me really, really busy just on, on, on continuing to build out this stuff that I started building for them. Um, and I kind of went to them and I just said, you know, I either need to quit my job and come to work for you guys. Otherwise I'm going to get fired from my job because I was, I was splitting my time and energy quite a bit. Um, or I'm going to need to stop working for you guys. And so I can focus on my job. And, um, 
you know, what ended up happening over the course of a, of a couple of weeks there is that we really kind of charted a path forward for me to go to work for them as a kind of a, a, a CTO type advisor. It was never, it was never my intention to go to work for them full time. They were in Chicago. I did spend a lot of time in Chicago in 2006 and 2007. Um, and, really kind of took all of the stuff that I had built for them and, and was taking that, you know, to the next level. Um, but then at the same time, in order to justify sort of a bigger role there, I needed to be doing more and, um, you know, really understood that at this point as a firm, which I came to know better, but they were in a, in a real inflection point where they had raised, they were in between raising their second and their third funds. And they hit a real inflection point in terms of growth and uh, number of people and just the amount of information that they had. And right at that time when I was joining them, I, I took on a couple of other projects to, to just improve how they were working with technology. One of them was to help them uh, evaluate and select fund accounting systems. And, um, and then a big thing as well was to, uh, was to incorporate this thing that they just signed up for called salesforce.com which i'd never heard of in, in 2006 mm -hmm. and so i looked at salesforce in 2006 and i looked at all this technology i built for them and i just said this is great would love to dive in and help you guys leverage salesforce uh but we should probably redo all of the stuff i spent the last three or four, four three or four years uh, building for you guys so that kind of um you know when i when i started working for them i didn't necessarily know what i wanted to do as a company or as a business but i knew i wanted to start a company and and over the course of 2006, kind of the, the stars started to align, and I learned a lot more about private capital markets, and I learned a lot more about Salesforce.com, and the idea kind of came together to say, I'm going to build technology for, uh, for private capital markets, which really consists of, of fund managers. Um, so, you know, we might hear of like venture capital fund managers or private equity fund managers or growth equity fund managers, or real estate fund managers. They all have some things in common, which is that they raise capital on a regular basis every two to five years. Uh, and then they, they go and they deploy that capital into whatever asset class is, is appropriate for them. So a venture fund, capital fund manager is gonna deploy it in early stage companies, a real estate manager, obviously real estate, um, a, a buyout fund manager is gonna be later stage companies. So really learned a lot about the industry from kind of from the database out, which was great. Um, RCP is a fund of funds was kind of a hybrid between a fund manager and, and the, the folks that are providing capital to private capital markets. And uh, that's really where the idea to, to build the company and the, the products that we're going to pursue came together and also had a lot more clarity in, in that time, kind of by 2008, 2009, uh, Salesforce.com was definitely emerging as a, as a more viable platform to build technology on. Great. So what is the problem that you're solving? Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit about private capital markets. Um, really, um, the, the private capital markets ecosystem kind of exists in like three layers. There are the assets, and most times we think about these as the companies that are receiving funding from fund managers. Um, there are the fund managers that are raising capital in, in, in the structure of a fund and then deploying that capital to whatever asset class. Um, and then there are the, the folks that are providing the capital, um, and those would be the limited partners, and those are things like institutional uh, investors like pensions, endowments, multifamily offices. So we really work with, with the top two layers of this ecosystem. We work with the fund managers. And at the end of the day, they really do two things. They raise capital every, you know, again, kind of one and a half to five years, some of that time frame, And then they spend the next three, four, five years deploying that capital, so buying assets. And then if, every, if everything works out okay, over the next three to four years, they're going to then 
sell those assets and return the capital to the investors that the, that the investors provided. So uh, about three quarters of our clients are fund managers in this ecosystem. About a quarter of our clients are the sources of capital or what's, what's called the, the limited partner community. Uh, for the fund managers, our technology uh, makes Salesforce work for them. So we, we're, we're leveraging the force.com platform. We've built out uh, purpose-built solutions that, that run on top of force.com. Um, our fund manager clients use that to manage all their pipelines of, of communicating with a limited partner community, um, managing pipelines of raising capital, organizing that capital into funds, and then and then a whole slew of activities related to uh, interacting with their investors. So when they go to buy a company, they need to call capital from their investors. So we, we automate that. Um, they need to quarterly send out statements to all of their investors. And we, while we're not a fund accounting solution, we facilitate all of the distribution of those documents. In addition to the stuff that we've got running inside of uh, Salesforce, uh, we have a portal solution called ShareSecure, which is really a conduit between the fund managers and limited partners. So we help them kind of, you know, if you think about a dollar coming into a fund, we help them through that entire life cycle. And then we help them deploy that dollar into whatever asset class it is. So again, if it's a real estate manager, they're going to be evaluating real estate opportunities, and then eventually they're going to buy those assets. If it's a venture capital fund manager, they're going to be uh, looking at the universe of, you know, maybe it's a it's a biotech fund manager, and so they're going to be looking at at ideas and companies that are coming to the market in, in that space. Uh, so we help them manage that that whole process, and then and then actually deploy that capital and keep track of performance metrics of their of the underlying portfolio companies. And again, hopefully, if everything works out all right, in, in the course of three to seven years, they'll be selling those companies and returning the capital back to their investors. We help them automate and kind of improve that whole process as well. A, a big theme for us, you know, now, but but actually for the last couple of years, is just really leaning into the experience that investors, that institutional investors, can have uh, working with their private capital managers. Um, if an endowment or a pension, let's say, has you know, two billion dollars of assets under management, um, maybe a, a third to you know maybe thirty to forty percent of those assets are going to be deployed to private capital markets. And there's a lot of reasons why institutional investors in particular are really well suited to private capital markets. Um, but while only maybe a third of their assets are deployed in private capital markets, the vast majority of the relationships that they have to maintain um, are gonna be in those private market investments that, they, that they've made. So while we're helping the fund managers, you know, kind of collect information and, and, and manage the processes of raising capital and then buying assets and, and returning capital to their investors. We're helping the institutional investors keep track of that whole universe from just kind of the other side of the fence. So looking at things from the from the perspective of a manager, if I'm University of Colorado Foundation, for instance, they're not a client, but that's a good example. So we maybe we've got $2 billion of assets under management in our endowment. And we might be looking at, at managers that are coming to market, you know, in 2020 in, in, in various different asset classes. So we help them keep track of all of the managers, all of the funds that are coming to market, and then the underlying portfolio companies. So, you know, University of Colorado might be interested right now in understanding, you know, what is their geographic exposure in their private capital markets uh, investments, um, and we can help them do that. Or what is their you know, sector exposure as we're as we're dealing with some uncertainty right now? Uh, someone like a, a foundation or endowment might want to have visibility, and we can help them keep track of all that. And really, like I mentioned before, I didn't complete my thought about the investor experience. So traditionally, the, the interaction between private capital managers and institutional investors that are deploying capital has been very manual. It's been very clunky. And we have a vision where that doesn't need to be the case. We, we help those managers not only share the documents that they traditionally have shared with, uh, with investors, 
uh, but increasingly more importantly, uh, information in, in the form of data. So instead of looking at a PDF file that says, here's all the, here's all the portfolio companies that, that this endowment is invested in, we can actually make that available to them as data mm -hmm. uh, so they can work with it and, and model it and, uh, and really understand and dig into their own data and their own portfolio and understand what those exposures might be, for instance. Very cool. Yeah. Um, that, wow, that sounds amazing. So and let me just make sure I understand. So does Altvia also help with like the entire life cycle of the process? So you know, deploying the capital and potentially selling the capital or selling the assets. Yeah. Um, is that yeah. also part of what you guys yeah. Yeah. help yeah. your fund managers with? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you, if you think about this from through, and again, it's like the same ecosystem can look differently. If you're looking at it through the lens of, you know, portfolio company, you know, uh, we, we look at this universe of, you know, maybe venture capital fund managers as, as sources of capital. If you look at it through the lens of the limited partner communities, like pensions and endowments and family offices, the fund managers are the folks that are going to help them get cap their capital into, you know, great startups or great companies and things like that. So the fund managers are kind of sitting there in, in the middle of this ecosystem. And if we look at it through the lens for them, they, they've got a lot of different relationships and different categories. So they've got a universe of all of the folks that they could raise capital from. Those are the limited partners. They have a universe of all of the intermediaries that they work with. So if I am a buyout or a growth equity fund manager, that intermediary community is going to include like investment bankers. So they need to have tight relationships with all of the investment banks that cover the sectors that they'd like to invest in. They also have this whole universe of, of the companies that they could potentially invest in. Not only the companies that they invest in, but understanding that entire um, universe. So maybe it's the competitors of their companies. Maybe it's the partners of their companies. Another big thing is increasingly for fund managers is really wanting to create value in the investment. So it's not just picking the right companies, but it's actually picking the right companies and then doing things to create value in those companies. So there's a whole universe, uh, you know, if I were a fund manager, I'd want to keep track of all of the VPs of sales that, that I've worked with in my, in my career. So when we hire or when we buy a new company and it turns out, you know, we need a new VP of sales, I want to be able to have information that says, okay, you know, uh, Nicole is, was a great VP of sales at this company. We'd like to bring her into the fold of this company that we just bought. So, so keeping track, you know, a lot of different types of relationships that they uh, collect and maintain. And they're, they're, they're collecting a ton of data as well. So I mentioned a little bit about intermediaries. Well, if we're, you know, if there's a universe of 200 investment banks that are out there, we might want to really understand in our data, who are the investment banks that have brought us deals that, that we've actually been able to close. So when I go and focus on, you know, a universe of 200 investment banks, maybe I really want to zero in on the 10 that are going to be most likely to bring me deals that, that we're going to be able to execute on or most likely to bring deals that, uh, that um, you know, have been successful. So we help those managers organize and, and, and uh, maintain all of the information that they're just generating through the course of doing their business and then give them actionable insights into uh, you know, things like who, who the best investment banks, who are the VPs of sales that we should be talking to, who are uh, you know, folks that we, as subject matter experts that if we want to go into a new market that we've got information. We've got just a, a history. Sometimes it's, it's called like, you know, uh, you know, firm knowledge or a firm knowledge base. So institute, creating institutional memory about just the operations of a manager that maybe has been around for 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's great. Yeah. Thanks for the clarification. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's definitely a complex ecosystem. So yeah. It's good I, to... You know, I, I think it is an ecosystem that, especially entrepreneurs, you know, have some awareness of and have some visibility into. Um, but one of the things that I love about the work that we do is that it's it's a pretty. You're working with incredibly smart, incredibly motivated people, and it's and there's definitely some complexity to it. Mm -hmm. and, and helping them 
uh, you know, make sense of, of, of the universes that they, that they operate in is, is pretty fulfilling and, uh, and, and at times challenging, but challenging in a good way. Yeah, absolutely. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Marketing Method Monthly Group Coaching Program, your methodology for growing your business and your social media following. Join me and my group of supportive entrepreneurs and learn how you can grow your business and your social media following where we cover topics such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, and so much more. Go to dmgroup.online, dmgroup.online. So tell us about some of the recent wins you've had at yeah, so a big one. We are fresh off of our first ever user conference. So oh, you were it's your own conference. Yeah, wow, yeah, okay, yeah, very yeah, cool. yeah. So we had and, and Nicole, who's sitting here with me, is is uh, largely responsible for this. So uh, we, like I said, we've been around for about fourteen, almost fourteen years, and we've never had a user conference. Uh, we've got uh, uh, over one hundred and seventy clients, most of them in North America, but uh, about twenty. 25 clients or so in the UK and Europe and uh, we've had great partnerships with our clients for a long long time but we've never had a user conference and so uh, Nicole and the rest of our uh, marketing team kind of set a goal about six months ago to say we're gonna do our first user conference we did it last week it was an amazing success we had um, originally we had about 50 individual clients from about 35 customers or 30 uh, 50 about 50 individual individuals from about 35 clients signed up. We had a little bit of attrition just with uh, some of the uncertainty with travel and stuff like right, that. Right. Uh, but we ended up having an amazing conference um, where we got users together to learn from each other. We did some great workshops on leveraging our technology where, you know, understanding or communicating our, our product roadmap of where we're going with things. We had some amazing speakers. We had uh, Jerry Colonna kind of kick off the, the conference with me. I don't know if you know Jerry, but he's a, he's a Boulder uh, executive coach and, and an incredible, incredible person. Uh, but he uh, he and I kicked off the conference with a fireside chat on you know what 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 does it mean to thrive and and uh, if you haven't if you're not familiar with Jerry I highly recommend uh, kind of learning about uh, some of some of his work he he was a, a best-selling author his one his book last year I reboot was on the top ten business books like on Amazon on on lots of different lists and things like that so so that was pretty amazing to have Jerry kind of kick off the conference we had lots of great content in the middle of it and the one thing that was really rewarding for me personally was that we closed out the conference with a, again another fireside chat with me and Tom Donny who uh, was the person I mentioned uh, eighteen years ago that uh, that was really he he was a good buddy of mine and and he really had a vision for his firm how data could be a huge differentiator before people were even talking about this. Right. And so uh, Tom and I had a, had a great, you know, hour long chat for the whole group just about how his firm has used data as a differentiator and how, you know, really the industry is, uh, as a whole is kind of catching up with that. So it was really cool to kind of go back in the way back machine. I, I pulled out some screenshots of some of the, the very first technology that we had developed them. It was really pretty fascinating to contrast that to uh, yeah. you know, the, the look and feel of our technology now. Oh, yeah. I'm sure absolutely yeah. 14 years ago, things were a yeah. lot different within yeah. the tech space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, you know, that, that's probably the, the biggest, most recent one. Um, you know, the last year we've had some great client wins. We're working with, can't say all of their names, but some, uh, some folks that are they're easily recognizable in the, in the ecosystem that we that we work in, and, and it's really fulfilling to know that we are providing the foundation for them uh, to go ahead and you know not only make sense of, of private capital markets for their own purposes, but also the clients that they serve. Uh, that's been pretty cool. Um, we had a big development effort that uh, that really consumed most of our time and energy in 2019. 
where we completely redeveloped a big part of our a big part of our technology suite, and it's really in service to this idea that we have around improving the investor experience. So, mm -hmm. so putting tools in the hands of fund managers so that when they are working with investors and prospective investors, they can really have a consistent investor experience um, that folks are really accustomed to in, in sort of more traditional, you know, like um, banking environments, insurance. So really raising the bar in terms of how fund managers are able to in, interact with folks that they're, they're courting and then folks that, they're, that are actually their investors. Very cool. Well, that's yeah. very exciting. Your own user conference, new, new revamping of the technology. So that, that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, but switching gears a little bit here, what would you say is then the biggest challenge in your industry now? Oh, wow. Um, lots of challenges. I mean, okay. I, I think that we've got, we've got challenges, you know, that I think are consistent with, with every, you know, um, small, small business. We are about 32 employees and, um, you know, it's always this, this constant battle of like how quickly you try to grow. We are a bootstrapped organization. We've not raised any outside capital. So uh, sometimes our, uh, our eyes can be bigger than our stomachs, uh, you know, in terms of the things that, uh, that we'd like to be able to do and, and the things that we can do. So it's always, you know, a constant battle. And I think that there's, you know, that's, that's true for a lot of companies. Even if you are, you know, uh, have private equity or venture capital backers, you know, how you deploy capital in, in, in resources is, a, is always a, a challenge. Um, I think our competitive landscape is, has evolved quite a bit. Um, I think uh, 10 or 12 years ago, Salesforce.com, there was a lot of folks that, you know, were really wrestling with how to make Salesforce.com work. Um, and, uh, you know, in our industry or in the sectors that we work with, I think folks had a big desire to try to make Salesforce work, but it was just really kind of unwieldy. Mm -hmm. um, and so the approach that we took where we actually built products that run on top of force.com as opposed to coming in and, and customized it. Uh, it was a really novel approach and it was incredibly well received in the marketplace. Um, and I think that we're in another iteration here of sort of technology innovation. So um, I think that you know, things that were new and cool, you know, four or five years ago, we've, we've got to constantly iterate and right. continue to, to innovate. Um, so, and, and again, I think that that's true of, of a lot of folks. I really see more than challenges. I see more opportunities. Um, and I guess, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess you have to be that way if you're uh, crazy enough to, to start a company and right. continue to run it. But, um, you know, the, the appetite of fund managers and the appetite of limited partners to really elevate the industry in terms of how information flows has, has never been better. And I think that, you know, the competition that we're seeing uh, is, is, you know, is raising our game. And I think that we're doing the same thing for them. So um, I think that there's a huge awareness, like I mentioned, Tom Donnie was at our user conference. You know, he was a handful of a number of folks. We got a great client here in Denver. I won't say, I won't say their name, but we've got a great client in Denver that I, I would put in the same category as folks that you know, we've been working with for, you know, 10, 11, 12 years. And these folks had, had visions of like what could be possible before anyone was talking about it. Well, now everyone's talking about it. Limited partners are telling their fund managers, we need access to better data. We need a better investor experience. We need to have transparency in terms of how you guys are sourcing deals, how, you know, once you, once you invest in companies, how you're managing them. Um, and we had some clients that were, you know, way ahead of the game. And I think the rest of the industry is, is catching up with them. And so it's no longer educating people or evangelizing. It's now it's, it's you know, fulfilling a need that more and more people are, are recognizing. Um, I think that we've got access to third-party data sources that we've never had before, um, information on, on, on the companies that are out there, information on comparables, uh, you know, in terms of returns, and, um, and, and some great technology to work with, you know, um, advances in mobile technology, advances that Salesforce.com has, has made on their platform um, are really opening up some, some pretty incredible frontiers for us. That's amazing. Yeah. That's great. Well, let's talk a little bit about the current state of the state, right? Yeah. I mean, 
markets are slumping. So is that affecting your industry and how so if that's the case? Yeah. So, um, you know, for a lot of folks, they probably recognize when I talked about starting the company in 2006 and 2007, um, that was, you know, we were, we were sort of, when I made the leap kind of before the big financial meltdown, um, we actually participated in Techstars in 2008. Okay. And so coming out of Techstars in August of 2008, we're like, wow, this is going to be a great opportunity that let go raise capital right. and accelerate what we're doing. Well, it turns out that, uh, you know, the end of 2008 and 2009 was not a great time to raise capital. Not at all. Uh, I think very, very different forces at play, but, but similar, you know, sort of outcomes in terms of uncertainty, in terms of, you know, uh, especially institutional investors, their balance of, of how much capital they can have deployed in different asset classes is getting changed just by valuation. So if I were an endowment, I said, uh, you know, I'm going to have 50% of my assets in, illiquid, you know, private capital markets, and I have 50% of my assets in, um, you know, traditional liquid assets. Well, guess what, like today, like that 50% just dropped to 40% just right. on valuations alone. So what that means is that there, there is a lot of uncertainty, there are, you know, opportunities for, you know, limited partners to decide that they want to sort of pull back on some of their uh, private capital market allocations just to get their, their um, asset allocations in balance. Um, so it's, it's a time of tremendous change. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I really believe we, it was, it was tough sledding, but we made it through 2008 and 2009 and it came out stronger and better in, in 2010 and 2011. Right. So there's a ton of uncertainty right now, but, you know, I believe in our team, I believe in myself, I believe in our, in our customers and I believe in the you know, long-term things are going to, are, are going to work out. So while it's, you know, it, it is uh, unnerving, we had to send out our, our COVID-19 uh, ah. uh, policy statement uh, the other day. Um, that's something that I you know, would have never imagined that I'd be doing as a, as a CEO one day. But, um, you know, we've got an amazing team. We've tried to foster, you know, we love to have people in our office, you know, our employees in our office, but we also understand that, you know, sometimes it's better to work from home on certain things. So I think that we have some good infrastructure in place and some good practices in place for, uh, people to be working, you know, kind of switching to working from home more often right now. Um, we have curtailed travel. Um, a big thing for us is, is being, you know, partnering with our clients. And sometimes that means them come to us. Sometimes that means us going to them. Um, sometimes it means virtual. <laughs> yeah. And, and, yeah. Increasingly here for the next, you know, who knows, six to 10 weeks, probably at least it's going to be a, a lot of virtual stuff. So, so just kind of changing our habits. Uh, but on the other hand, I think, you know, both for our clients as well as for, for us internally, Sometimes, you know, being tied to home is not the worst thing in the world because, yeah, because you know, I think that we've already noticed this with, with prospects and clients is that, you know, if you can't be out on the road doing the things that they typically do, well, that means that you're back at the office working on, on you know, sort of internal initiatives. So, um, you know, while, while it's definitely going to have an impact, you know, and who knows what it's going to be long term, um, I think in the short term what we're seeing is that um, our clients and our prospects are using this as an opportunity to sort of like get their houses in order a little bit. Hunker down yeah, and get yeah. stuff done in general. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. You, know, you got to do it sometime. Yeah. And when, uh, when fund managers, you know, go to clean their garage, like get their operations in order, um, that's a good time to call us. And, and it's, a, you know, it's having the, the time and the space to focus on, you know, getting systems uh, implemented and, and, and getting data organized and setting, you know, sort of objectives. And, you know, the whole the whole remote thing or virtual thing, that really plays into what we're trying to do with, with the investor experience as well. So right. having a better, um, you know, online presence and having a better 
uh, end user experience for their prospects and investors is huge and, and we're, we're poised to help them do that. And that's, that's it turns out they're gonna have time uh, probably to be working on some of those initiatives right that's now. That's fantastic, yeah. that's good news. Um, so what are some of the new initiatives or projects What's on the horizon? Yeah, so I mentioned that we spent most of 2019, uh, really you know, at least the second half, solely focused on, on, a, on a big part of our product suite. And that's specifically, it's called investor correspondence. Um, the way that we rebuilt it is really as a container to be able to fold a lot of different things into it. So while we got that big push done in 2019, uh, we had tremendous success with our early um, pilot uh, users of, of the new technology. So kind of through the remainder of, of March and into April, we'll be taking all of our existing clients and getting them up and running on this new technology. Um, our developers will be shifting their focus to taking some of the other products that have sort of grown and evolved organically over the years and getting them streamlined into sort of a consistent uh, framework that, uh, that this work that we've done has enabled. Uh, so that's a big thing. I mentioned a little bit about tons of advances in, in the force.com platform. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that uh, there's a big push as well. Some of that involves development. Some of that just involves our, you know, great implementation teams kind of getting their handle or getting their, getting their arms around some of the functionality that we get from there. Um, we've got uh, some, some big pending releases with our portal solution. So we've already started to introduce some of those things, but from a development effort, but as well as just from kind of a, a deployment effort, we're poised to do some neat things there. And uh, really kind of looking out at, at the horizon. And, and um, like I said before, we've got a huge appetite in terms of the things that we'd like to be able to do. And uh, you know, kind of freeing up resources and getting them uh, you know, pointed at pointed at those things would be a, would be a big thing. That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah lots of good, yeah. lots of good stuff coming yeah. up on the horizon. Yeah, I think I, you know, just one other thing that comes to mind yeah. when you when you brought up the whole idea of coronavirus. Um, so we have shifted, you know, where you know we're not having as many people in the office as right. uh, as we have on a regular basis, and, and a huge part of our company has always been our culture, and, yeah. and built around community. So I think it's now it's. Um, you know, we've been able to do that really easily by having everyone in the same spot and, and having a huge, another huge part of the work that we do is just understanding the industry. And so having people in the same spot leads to, you know, being able to, you know, have, have learning going on in our organization. So I think it's a neat opportunity for us to be thinking about over the next 60 to 120 days. You know, how do you, how do you create that culture? How do you create the benefits of having people in the same space, uh, but having people remote? You know, right. so, so, I mean, yeah. it takes a little bit of a tweak of the culture. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think absolutely. And I, th I think the foundation that we have in place, you know, high levels of trust and collaboration with our employees um, is going to allow us to do that, but it'll just be a little bit different. Instead of having, you know, lunch and learns on Wednesday with everyone in the office, maybe we're going to be doing virtual lunch and learns yeah. and not uh, giving everyone a discount code for, uh, you know, uh, uh, food delivery or something. Right, like yeah, so, well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, times, yeah. times change, right? Yeah. So yeah. you got to just, you got to move along with it, right? Yeah. And then the last question, which I always ask, which is, I find this one kind of interesting, what is your prediction for the industry? And the industry could mean anything. It could be self-driving cars. It could be flying to Mars and having settlements. It could be anything about the market or coronavirus or anything yeah. like, specifically yeah. in your industry. I mean, take, yeah. take a I mean, topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I can look at it in a, in a couple of different ways. You can, you can slice that a couple of different ways. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, private capital markets, if you look at them over the long term, have outperformed, you know, like the S&P. And, and I think that that's going to continue to happen. I think that, um, you know, there, there, of course, there's volatility there. Um, you know, there could be concerns about, you know, valuations and things like that. But I think that private capital markets, you know, we're going to see uh, in 2019 some record levels 
record level amounts of capital being deployed through private capital markets. And again, that includes a whole spectrum from real estate to venture capital. So I think that the, you know, the, the industry is poised, I think, to continue chugging along in terms of the, the overall industry of private capital markets. Um, I think, you know, if you looked at just one sliver of it, which would be venture, um, you know, venture capital is great at, at finding entrepreneurs with great ideas, getting capital to them efficiently so that they can fund their ideas. And, and you know, whether it's, you know, on uh, you know, climate change or whether it's, you know, um, health issues um, and just being able to respond to the things that we're doing, whether it's, you know, attacking, you know, the, the virus or coming up with uh, funding, you know, new drugs and things like that. Or maybe it's, you know, refining technology around, um, you know, collaboration, remote collaboration. Uh, I think venture capital is poised to be, you know, huge, uh, have a huge impact on, on helping not only, you know, our country, but, but the world, you know, solve the problems that we've got. And we certainly have no shortage of, of big problems on the horizon here. And no shortage of ideas. Yeah, yeah. And I think that private capital markets continue to get more and more efficient. I think, you know, I, I'd like to take some credit for us uh, help, helping do that. There's certainly a lot of things at play there, but um, I think that, uh, you know, we'll continue to make it easier for fund managers to identify great, great investment opportunities, execute on those opportunities, um, aggregate the capital from the investment community to, to make those uh, investment opportunities possible, and make sure that they're, you know, they're funding the ideas that, uh, that are working. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that there's going to be a slowdown in, in the VC uh, market? Boy, yeah. Kind of similar to what happened in 2008, or do you feel like this is just kind of a small correction that's going to go back to? Yeah, I, I, I think it's probably too early, too early, too early to tell to right say. now. I mean, I, you know, it's, um, I'm certainly not a public health expert by any means, but you know, there's there's some forecasts that that you know could see this kind of wrapping up. You know, late in the spring, I, I just was listening to a podcast on the way down here that said maybe it's going to slow down over the summer and kick back in in the in the fall. So I mean, tons and tons of uncertainty right now. Right. I think the one thing that we can count on is that you know whether it's you know private equity and venture capital uh, fund managers or whether it's institutional investors or whether it's you know entrepreneurs and and operating companies. Um, you know, just working better, working more efficiently is, is something that there's always going to be a demand for that. So, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. I'm glad we shared all this information and yeah. share more about your company and your background. This is, this is fantastic. So, anything uh, else you want to add before we wrap up? Yeah, I don't think so. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me to be on the podcast. Awesome. This is a cool. Uh, you know, um, thing that you're doing for the community. So, yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to just bring together tech companies in Colorado and the Denver Boulder area. So yeah. awesome. Thanks so much. So Kevin Kelly, Altvia, very excited that you decided to join us today. And uh, yeah, we'll be sharing this episode very shortly. Yeah, awesome. awesome. Thank you Thanks so much. You.